right. Well, when uh, when we read through the Psalms, even when we thumb through the Psalms, uh, right before Psalm one, you see an inscription that says Book One, and right before Psalm forty two. After the Psalm 41 is what we're going to study tonight. Right before Psalm 42, you see an inscription that says Book 2. It's a reminder to us that the Psalms are actually 150 Psalms, but they're five books that have been collected together, that were collected together by the nation of Israel. And uh, Psalm 41 is the last of Book 1. So uh, just just kind of a a thing to, to know about the Psalm we're going to look at tonight. Another thing we see... In the superscription before the psalm is that it is for the choir director. Now, what I think I've mentioned this before, I'm pretty sure I have, but I just want to reiterate that those, um, sometimes we see subtitles in our Bibles that have to do with subject matter. Like, um, if you go to Matthew 26... You might see a subtitle in your Bible that says something about the crucifixion or, 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 or something like that. That's different from what we see here in Psalm 41 where it says, For the choir director, that's actual, actually part of the Hebrew text. That is uh, part of God's inspired word to us. And what that tells us, for the choir director, it reminds us that this is really, the Psalms are the hymn book of Israel. When we talk about what did Israel use to... Worship is for as far as uh, song goes, because by the way, worship is not just singing. Sometimes people today have kind of compartmentalized the things the church does. There's the preaching, and then there's the worship. No, the preaching is part of the worship. In fact, it's the central part of the corporate worship, and uh, this is the singing is part of the worship too. But um, that's just an aside. What this reminds us is that. This was Israel's hymn book. And for the choir director indicates that it was definitely sung when the people came together to worship Yahweh together. We also see part of the inspired text that this is a psalm of David. David wrote many psalms. Some of them have that title, a psalm of David, on them. And and some of them are probably written by him that don't have that, that title on it. In fact, I'll make mention of one in just a couple of minutes that I think is written by David. But it's another psalm where David is facing opposition. Uh, we, we, we did one of these a few weeks ago too, Psalm 38. Um, yet again, David is in a position where he's confessing sin, and he's confessing that he's a sinner. It's yet another psalm where his mood is generally downcast. Uh, it's a wonderful psalm for when you are feeling down, when you are just, when you're emotional level is is kind of sunk and uh, we can all identify with those times to that end you know when we think of David um, what a tremendous example of the Christian life he is not that he always did the right thing because we know of sometimes where he did the very wrong thing but in him we see success and we see failure we see joy and we see sorrow we see tragedy and we see triumph we see it all in, in David's life we, we, we see the range of human emotion, the range of, of human experience in David's life. And it's hard not to find a little bit of ourselves in, in David when we read about him. So uh, just to that end, we come here tonight, and though we might be small in number, 
Um, the week is half over, and maybe you come here tonight uh, having experienced joy and having experienced victory already this week. I hope so. That's, that's wonderful. But maybe things are not going so great. Perhaps this evening you are melancholy. Perhaps you feel defeated. Perhaps you are in the midst of heartache. And, uh, you know, we can identify with all of that in some respect, the, the whole range of emotions. But that's why it always does us good to come back to the Psalms. And that's why every now and then, even though we might be in a series through through Luke or through the Thessalonian letters or now through Genesis now going on a year or plus now on that, um, it's always good every now and then to come kind of come back to the Psalms and to kind of reorient ourselves to what is true, what is right, what is real. Um, it does us good to reorient ourselves to a right perspective of God. And a right perspective, if we have a right perspective of God, what follows is a right perspective of ourselves and a right perspective of the world and a right perspective of all kinds of other things. So Psalm 41 is great for that. <clears throat> so it's a short psalm, 13 verses. Let's read it. And then we'll just spend a few minutes talking about it. A Psalm of David. How blessed is he who considers the helpless. The Lord will deliver him in the day of trouble. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive, and he shall be called blessed upon the earth. And do not give him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him upon his sickbed. In his illness you restore him to health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die and his name perish? And when he comes to see me, he speaks falsehood. His heart gathers wickedness to itself. When he goes outside, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt, saying, a wicked thing is poured out upon him, that when he lies down, he will not rise up again. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up, that I may repay them. By this I know that you are pleased with me, because my enemy does not shout in triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity. And you set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. We're in Psalm 41 tonight. Okay. Um, so again, like Psalm 38 that we looked at not too long ago, here's another psalm in which David is down. And let's see where it is and to whom he looks when he's down. First thing we see is that he looks back. David looks back in this psalm. He, he opens with a beatitude. And when I say that word beatitude, what usually comes to our minds? Blessed. Blessed. The, Sermon yeah. on the, Mount. the Sermon on the Mount is what I'm getting. Yeah. The, the Sermon on the Mount, the, the, it begins, at least in Scripture, in, in Matthew 5, with the beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so on. But Beatitudes are not exclusive to Jesus. In fact, we see them a lot of places in Scripture. And David was a big fan of Beatitudes. And this one in Psalm 41 is not the first we see 
from him, and it's not the first we see in the Psalms. There's one in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, that says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Uh, That is one of my favorites, because the Apostle Paul quotes that one in Romans 4, when he's explaining salvation, when in Romans 4, he's explaining that we are justified by faith alone. He actually is using Abraham and David as examples there, saying you know, Abraham wasn't justified by works. If he was justified by works, he was only getting what was due to him. But he was justified by, by faith alone, by the grace of God. And uh, so, so David is, is being quoted by Paul there. But does anyone have an idea of where the, probably the most well-known beatitude from David is? Well, actually, that's just not a fair question. I think it's in Psalm 1, um, the very first words of the first psalm, which, by the way, is the psalm I said is not ascribed to David, but I have a feeling it probably was written by David. Um, in fact, I'm not alone in that. I don't say that just because it's my opinion. But um, in Psalm 1... How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And I think I got that a little mixed up there. But uh, the common thread, again, when I, when I said, what, when I say beatitude, what do you think of it? Blessing. Blessed. Uh, it, it is a pronouncement of blessing. And, and so David gives us another one here in Psalm 41.1. How blessed is he who considers the helpless the Lord will deliver him in the day of trouble. What David's doing here is he's looking back on a time in which he was distressed. In fact, he, he is so distressed, as we read, um, he is sick to the point of being bedridden. He's on his sick bed. I think it's in verse 3 he says that. And in that spot, he is recalling how he has been merciful to others. He, he is recalling his past acts of kindness, how he has helped the poor, And this has brought great comfort to him because of what he knows about God. He knows God is going to help him. In fact, if David did write Psalm 1, he was the one who wrote, what? That how blessed is the man um, who doesn't stand in the path of sinners. Um, But what? But his delight is in what? You remember? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. The Word of God. David is, is, is he, he's someone who knows the Word of God. And we know for sure what God said of David, that he's a man after his own heart. So David is no doubt familiar with the Word of God. So he, he would have been familiar actually with the, what God has to say about the poor. And something God says about the poor and the, the helpless and the distressed is in Deuteronomy 15, and I'm going to read to you five verses from Deuteronomy 15. I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. And uh, this is what it says. This is part of the, the law given to Israel. And it says, If there is a poor man among you, one, with your bro- one of your brothers, if, any, if in any of your towns in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need and whatever he lacks. 
Beware that there is no base thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of remission is near, and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother, and you give him nothing, then he may cry to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. Now, just to bring a little bit of clarity to that, there was a mention of the seventh year, the year of remission. If you recall, part of the law that God gave to Israel, part of the, the mercy that He showed in Israel was on the in the seventh year, the Sabbath year as it were, um, all debts were to be relieved. All, all, all debts were to be relieved. In fact, it's part of the reason they went into exile to Babylon is that they did not honor these Sabbath years. It actually says that later on. I think it's in Jeremiah where it says that. Um, but God warns His people. This is what this is the point he's, that He's making here. God's warning His people uh, not to look upon someone who's poor and destitute and think, well, the Sabbath year is right around the corner. Uh, so He's going to be okay. God's about to take care of him. So He'll be okay until then. I don't need to really do anything. What he said, God was taking away any excuse someone might have not to assist someone who had a genuine need. Um, blessed is he who considers the helpless, David writes here. And, and the law of Israel and the principle then which still must guide every single one of us today is that we are to give generously to the poor and needy um, and not be grieved when we do. When, when I say that, I mean you know, not give saying... I would have liked to have spent that money elsewhere. I mean that—that's you know—that's called losing your reward in heaven. That's what that's called. Um, and because the Lord sees all of that, the Lord and of course He knows our hearts, and He will bless all of our work and all of our undertakings. <clears throat> it's also part of being Christ-like. One of the blessings, one of the. Uh, the Beatitudes that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is what? Blessed are the merciful. And what does he follow that with? For they shall receive mercy. If we want to receive mercy from the Lord, we are to show mercy to one another here on earth. That's part of what being Christ-like is all about. And it would seem that in whatever situation David found himself in here, his conscience was clear in relation to how he had treated others. And that was a great comfort to him. I, I, I know that when the time comes that I'm on my, my sick bed, when the time comes that I'm... And I, I don't know that David is near death in this psalm. I don't, there's no indication that he's um, like old and about to die like he is in 1 Kings. Um, I know I want my conscience clear. I, I, I know... We we should all want to to not have those regrets that says, I could have done this, and I could have done this, and I could have done this. And it seems David, you know, he he had a, a great comfort because he had a clear conscience, and that's something that has to guide each and every one of us. And so, you know, just to challenge each and every one of us tonight, is our conscience clear when how we treat others? Do we give 
generously to help the helpless without being grieved when we do it. Because there is comfort in being clean. I say that, and David says that, but still he knows that ultimately he's not clean. He asks for forgiveness. Why? Because he knows that anything good he receives from God is still grace. Why? Because he's still a sinner. Um, No matter how upright he may be before men, no matter how upright we may be before other people, we are still sinners when it comes to our relationship with God. We are still in need of forgiveness. We are still in need of the glory of God. And so in verse 4 he says, As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. (coughs) So, David is working out his salvation with fear and trembling by showing mercy and giving generously to others. But he still wants to always make sure that he's right with God. He still, you know, rather than get puffed up about the things he's done, he's saying, Lord, be gracious to me. I need your grace. Heal my soul. So he's recognizing he still has a heart issue. He's still prone to sin. Uh, and so he's asking God for help here. And, and that's what our trials should always do. Our trials should always compel us to examine ourselves carefully. How do we treat others? How are we before God? These are the questions we need to ask ourselves when we get into times of trouble and distress and sorrow and tragedy and, 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 and what have you. Because God uses our trials, even sicknesses, to purify us. What is it that James writes? He says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect work. Why? Because ultimately, so that the man of God might be perfect, lacking in nothing, complete, whole. That's what we want to, to be. Um, so, so God uses our trials and our sicknesses and our, our maladies to purify us, to drive us to appreciate Him more, to compel us to confess our sins more, to show us how we ought to love one another more, um, to help the helpless more. In fact, the, the, the reformer Calvin compares God in this psalm to an attentive nurse who turns our beds and makes them like new, refreshing, and relieving the patient, making us more comfortable in our affliction. That's what God is to us. Um, In essence, our afflictions take us back to the two great commandments. What are the two great commandments? Love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what uh, our afflictions are to do to us. And and that seems to be what was happening in David as he looked back. Second place he looked though is he looked around. David looked back and then he looked around. David's crying out for mercy in Psalm 41. Why is he crying out for mercy? Because when he looks around, what he sees first is his enemies speaking evil of him. <clears throat> and not just dogging him or, or gossiping about him, but they were wishing he's gone. They were wishing he was dead. Um, these people actually come to visit David in his sickness. Apparently, if we look at at uh, 
Verse 5, my enemies speak evil against me. When will he die and his name perish? And when he comes to see me, he speaks falsehood. So literally, he speaks vainly. He speaks vanity. He speaks empty words. It's like going to visit someone in the hospital and wishing them well to their face and then really wanting them to die when you're going down the elevator. You know, that that's what's happening to David here. That's that and, and he sees through it and it only causes him more anguish because that creates more heartache to add on to whatever else is going on in his life at this point. The, these people are whispering to others that David's gonna die. And the the sense is that they are doing it with glee. They've come to pay lip service to David, but really they've come just to see how bad off he is and and gain joy from it. And what's worse is, what do we see in verse 9? It's a close friend doing this. A supposed close friend, I guess that is. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate of my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And that makes the the knife of betrayal and anguish all the, the sharper, you know. Uh, it's not just anyone doing this. It's someone David loves. It's someone who supposedly loved David. Um, someone he was close to. And David wasn't the first to experience this, of course. And David certainly wouldn't be the last to experience this. If that part of that verse sounds familiar to us, it should, because Jesus uses it in John 13, verse 8, when he's talking about one of the twelve, Judas Iscariot, um, who uh, followed Jesus around for three years and, and then betrayed him. <coughs> so here... David is writing this a thousand years before Christ, and now Jesus, the son of David, is quoting him to speak about Judas. So that that gives us a sense of the kind of betrayal here that David was experiencing. It was all from the devil. And and Satan is the one who entered into Judas. So the lesson for us here is this. When, When we, when you, when I, when we are in distress... Whatever that distress may be, whatever that anguish, whatever that, that, that issue, whatever that, that cloud over us is, the answer is not to look around. Because what do we see around us? Well, what, what, what has filled our, our prayer request for months now? Sicknesses, anguish, pain, which is all the result of fallenness, sin, death. That's what we see around us. And, and even the things that aren't mentioned are the, the emotional problems that people have and the spiritual problems that people have. And so the answer is not to look around because the, the people who are around us that we see when we look around are just like us. They are sinners. So David has to look in a different direction, doesn't he? He's looked back and he can see the testimony of faithfulness that God has been faithful to him all this time. When he looks around, he sees nothing but heartache and anguish. <clears throat> so he's got to look up. He's got to look up, figuratively speaking, of course. And, and uh, so let's just look at verses 10 through 12 again. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you are pleased with me because my enemy does not shout in triumph over me. As for me... You uphold me in my integrity, and you set me in your presence forever. Our problems are solved not when we look back only or look around, but when we look up. 
when we keep our eyes on, on, on the Lord, so to speak. Uh, whatever problems we have, whatever obstacles we face, they pale in comparison to the grace of God. They pale in comparison to the mercy of God. They, 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 they pale in comparison to the everlasting provision that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Again, that, to that verse I, I th- from my prayer, it's one of my favorite verses, the sufferings of this present do we believe the Word of God or not? The sufferings of this present are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. So it doesn't matter what we are facing, or, or like with David, it doesn't matter what others are saying and wishing for us, you know, that, that we go away, that, that we die. It doesn't matter as long as we know that the Lord is pleased with us. Is the Lord pleased with us? 2 Corinthians 5, 9, our ambition rather at home or absent, is to be pleasing to Him. Is the Lord pleased with us? David beseeches the Lord here, be gracious to me and raise me up. It is as much a request as it is a recognition that God has done this, God can do this, and God will continue to do this. And did you note that His enemies do not shout in triumph over Him? Earlier, they're whispering together, but they don't shout in triumph. They can whisper all they want. They can, they can scheme together all they want. But when it comes right down to it, they will not shout in triumph over someone who belongs to Jesus Christ. They will not shout in triumph over someone who is pleasing to God, even if the world might think otherwise. We're talking about what, what does God think here. And, and so now when David asked God to raise him up that he may repay his enemies... I want to say a couple things about that first. That Jesus does not tell us to seek revenge, does he? He he doesn't tell us even to hate our enemies. On the contrary, what does he say? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Um, The scriptures also, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We are not to, to, to seek vengeance. I say that to add this. David was not your average believer, was he? He was not... um, like us in that sense, he was not a common person. He was not uh, just an average Joe. He was the king of Israel and specially anointed by God. And thus, he was invested with a special kind of authority from God that you and I don't have. So third, and this is important to note, that David does not go on a long diatribe about what he's going to do to his enemies. David doesn't make a list of the things he's going to do to them. He simply says, that I may repay them. And and as one commentator puts it, it is not an impulse from the flesh, but in virtue of the nature of his office that he is led to denounce against his enemies the punishment which they had merited. What he's saying is, in his office as king, he's going to repay evil. He's not saying that that's something that we are all called to, 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 to do is to repay evil. That's not up to us. Um, so David's words don't give us justification to seek that out for ourselves. We, we leave that in the hands of God. and Because all that mattered to David was that God would be pleased with him. And that's got to be what matters to us as well. David's desire was to be maintained by the integrity, by his integrity, by God. That's the only way he was going to survive. And, and so when he looks up, 
What does he see when he looks up? He knows that God is in control. God is in control. And, and that's not just a catchphrase to him. It's not just a t-shirt. There's a, I see t-shirts that say God is in control. It's not just a catchphrase. He, this is his life. This is how he lives his life, that God is in control. And uh, so what that means is that when he lives his life, he is enjoying more and more the presence of God, which he will enjoy forever. And uh, that's what verse 12 closes with, set me in your presence forever, and that's where we want to be. That's where we want to be, looking up when we are down. It shouldn't be something we come around to after we've exhausted every other measure, after we've gone through anger and worry and hate and feeling sorry for ourselves. No, we we are we want to get to a place spiritually as Christians where that's the first thing we do. Sometimes that's the last thing we do. But but what what this psalm is showing us is that it needs to be the first thing we do. Looking to the Lord when we are down has to be our default response. When we look around to other sinners, we will inevitably find disappointment. We will inevitably find heartache. So we must look to God because there's no disappointment in Him. And He will pick us up. Um, in my notes, I actually have, uh, which is ironic, uh, like when my girls reach, look to me and reach for me to pick them up. <laughs> That's how we are to look to God, and He will do it. Um, and then verse 13, David closes with doxology. And a doxology that not only ends this psalm, but also ends book one of the psalms. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. You compare that to verse 1. How blessed is he who considers the helpless. God is the ultimate one who gives consideration to the helpless. For while we were helpless, Romans 6 says, Christ died for the ungodly. David recognized that while he might have integrity as it relates to caring for the helpless, the poor, the needy, he too was helpless and poor and needy. And when we realize that about ourselves when we realize how helpless we are, the more we realize that, the more we realize how much grace God shows us, how much mercy God shows us. And it will create in us a compulsion to show that same grace and mercy to others. Um, and I want more of that in me. I, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I want to be there. And... I want to break forth in praise to God. I want to be one who looks up first. Yes, I can look back on God's faithfulness to me. God surely has been faithful to me. but And God, I'm sure, has been faithful to you too because God is faithful. And if we're honest with ourselves... You know, I, just a, an aside here before I close. There's this new website... Um, it's it's a Christian satire website, and these people they they kind of they write these humorous articles that are, are based around Christian things. And uh, the one I saw uh, a day or two ago said, um, 
local man cannot find one good thing God has done. God, local man gives speech on how God has done nothing for him while he breathes air. <laughs> <laughs> and stands up straight. And and and, and uh, the the article goes on to go on toward the the complex, the the irreducible complexity of how we breathe in oxygen but breathe out carbon dioxide, which is exactly what our bodies need, and we get rid of exactly what our bodies don't need, and how the millions and billions of cells in our eyes focus on different things. <laughs> it, it, I don't know what made me just think about that, but when we consider all God has done for us, I, 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 when we look back on all God has done for us, and when we're honest with ourselves about all God is doing for us now, even when life supposedly stinks, and I'm not saying my life does, it doesn't, but I'm just saying we all have those times, Right? You have those times. You're having one of those times yesterday. Um, it's like the arrogance of somebody who says they're a self-made person. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a self-made person, you're in trouble. <laughs> um, we can look back, but but ultimately that ought to drive us not to look around, but to look up. And, and so when we consider the blessedness of our God, how can we not look up when we're down. Um, we can look back, and, and again, we can look around and, and be disappointed, but we need to look up. And, and that's what I just kind of want to leave you with tonight. I mean, we all have those times. Rather we're in joy or, or sadness, uh, God is good. God is so indescribably good. And... Uh, I'm just that's this psalm is one that's always just been an encouragement to me. Um, I first taught on it a few years ago, and it was when I was going through a tough time uh, then, and it encouraged me then, and encourages me now. And I just wanted to share that with you tonight. But uh, instead of me talking more, why don't we pray and, and close and ask God to 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 compel us to to look up. Father, it is always a great temptation when we are pressed down by the worries of the world and uh, conflicts with other people. and It's always a great temptation to just be horizontal and, and in our mindset. You know, we, when we're pressed down by the world, everything just kind of gets compressed and all we tend to see is the bad stuff going on. Our minds don't default to you, and that's a, a, a sin problem. That's a, a not recognizing how wonderful you are problem. Uh, uh, and we, I, I pray, Father, that we will want that to change in us, myself included. Lord, we need a, a, an eternal perspective, a heavenly, Christ-centered perspective in which we don't just say, yeah, God's in control, but, but we know you are. And we live as though we know you are it, it impacts every decision we make every word we say and even if the whole world is against us help us father to remember that nothing can separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus
We thank you, Father, for blessing us. You bless us more than we know. Help us to recognize how you bless us more. Um, We thank you, Father, for the ultimate blessing, which is the new birth. Um, Being born from above, faith to believe. That verse in Romans 5, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, you have provided for the forgiveness of our sins. You have provided for our eternal life. You promise us an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and will never fade away. And and yet we still can so easily get distracted and our relationship with you disrupted because we just seem to be getting pressed down by this world father help us to rise up and by that i I pray the same thing god that david did be gracious to me and raise me up i pray that on behalf of each one here and i ask lord that you would be glorified in the result We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.